listeners, and welcome back to our brand new show, Tell Me About Your Character, here at the Fandible Podcast Network. It's the show where we talk to the luminaries of the RPG podcasting industry, RPG creation industry, uh, and pretty much anyone else who just uh, reached out to me on Twitter and said, Hey, I want to talk. And today we are very excited to have on our show as our guest a longtime friend of the podcast, uh, Modrigan from the Cult of Tea and Dice. He uh, does podcasts. He is a cult leader, which is a big, uh, big thing for our podcast. So please, Modrigan, go ahead and say hi to our listeners. Hello there. Uh, yes, as, as has just been mentioned, I am the, the chief cultist of the Cult of Tea and Dice Uh found at thecultofteendice.net and I have been mostly GMing for 33 years now so yeah you could say I'm I'm very much in the RPG community <laughs> yeah and and you're a longtime friend of the show you, oh, yeah. you guys have been have been kind of uh, friends of ours pretty much since the beginning I mean we've sent you quite a lot of tea you have you have very good tea by the way uh just in case anybody here on this side of the pond in america you are missing out we we get only i i've i've tried american tea Mm -hmm. i've tried british tea you're definitely getting what we don't want (laughs) (laughs) it's 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 just terrible but don't worry i can send care packages it's fine (laughs) <laughs> we appreciate that. I'm just picturing, you know, here in America, we've got, you know, two bins. All right, good tea and all right, tea that didn't work out and throw it out. You guys just have two bins, good tea and the stuff we sent to the Americans. That's pretty much what seems to be happening. Yeah, having having tasted tea on both sides. Um, Yeah, basically, basically, yeah, that seems to be what's happening. Um, <laughs> sadly, the, the, the British have kind of cornered the tea market for the entire planet it's it's us in india basically yeah yeah well uh, i i hear a few hundred years ago uh, america kind of had some uh some issues with that whole cornering the tea market thing it, it, you tried it to led make to it with salt water i mean it doesn't work <laughs> with salt water yeah it was it was a hulker fluffle uh you know and uh, everything's been terrible ever since it could be worse you could be over here at the moment <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. That's uh, uh, and listeners, just just go check out current events. Just, yeah, uh, no, don't do that. You or, or don't. You know what? Don't just yeah. Just stay here and listen to more podcasts. Yeah. It'll be it'll be fine. The the podcasting world much happier, much nicer than the real world. Even when uh, that's right. you're horribly murdering people on trains, it's fine. Hey, and who doesn't really? Uh, I do a lot of horribly murdering my players on trains at the moment. Because they just won't leave the train. <laughs> All right. So, Mondragon, who are you bringing to our little virtual tabletop today? Ah, well, today we will be talking about a character called Roth Nihilus, who is now a top-ranked assassin in the Imperial Death Cult. Oh my! Uh, it's a he's a Dark Heresy first edition character who I've played technically i'm still playing him because uh, the campaign hasn't finished but scheduling has meant there hasn't been a session for a while and by a while i mean like two years uh <laughs> but he's i've played him for six years i think six or so years uh from rank one all the way up to whatever the top rank in dark heresy is which i can't remember offhand 
I think it's like eight or nine, something like that. Something like that, yeah. He's like one step down from Ascension level. Nice. So he's he's been a pretty long running character. Uh, yeah, yeah. He's he's lasted pretty well, despite the fact that um, he did not start with very good stats at all. He um. I like to design my characters with flaws in them, and his flaw was most definitely his willpower stat, his uh, wound stat, his ballistic skill stats. Basically, anything that wasn't hitting things with swords or dodging, he was pretty much no good at. Oh, his intelligence stat. He was also a feral wielder, so negatives <laughs> to using technology, scared of servitors. Basically, he just started out really bad. He was bad at anything but close combat. <laughs> well, t- to be fair, the, this is in this system. That's just kind of how it goes. We, we've actually brought this up in a couple of previous podcasts. That that's, that's kind of the part of the reason why we we stopped playing uh, Rogue Trader and and uh, and Dark Heresy and all that. That your characters just begin. It's like, all right, so I am a, a trained uh, pilot, starship pilot. Uh, I've been doing this for years. I have graduated the academy. This is what I do, which means to have a solid. 35% chance of not piloting this uh, starship directly into the nearest star. Uh, now, you see, this is the thing. This is one of the things I wanted to talk about. Our first session. Mm-hmm. We started out with the same concept of how it works as everybody who goes into a role-playing game. Because everybody seems to think that the Dark Heresy games, the Wifferup games, they're all going to be like every other game. So a bit like... So let's, let's take the obvious one. D&D as an example. Your first level warrior, if he's up against a first level enemy, is probably going to do quite well. Not the case in Mm. Dark Heresy. Even against a a Minoris level enemy, if you're on an even playing ground, you're going to struggle. And our first fight was definitely that. (laughs) We, um, I think we were trying to... (laughs) We'd been sent by our Inquisitor to meet up with one of his contacts in a farmhouse on a place where they raised grocks. Big lizard cow things. And we got there and some local mutants had already rocked up and we ended up fighting these local mutants. My character nearly died. Our psyker failed his first psychic check of the game and flung himself five minutes into the future. Uh, The tech priest managed to jam his gun on his first shot. Um, (laughs) It just went bad. Oh, the arbitrator saw a a mutant and fainted. Uh, The guardswoman actually did quite well. She she saved us, basically, because she ran up to point blank range and shot people with shotguns. The second session, we sort of sat down and went, okay, why did we fail so badly? And we worked it out. We tried to fight people on an even playing ground. That's pointless. In in no battle in the universe would anybody go, well, let's just line up our lads on either side, aim machine guns at each other, and open fire, apart from if uh, General Haig was in, in charge. But we dealt with that quite some time ago. Um, So from that point on, we never fought fair 
at any point in the campaign, we we never fought fair from that point on. Um, we were always looking for what modifi modifiers we could get. Could we aim on them before opening fire? Could we sneak up on them and knife them in the kidneys? Could we drop things on them from above? And honestly, once you start playing the game like that, even a first level character, you can get your success chance up to like 80-90%. One of my players, actually, uh, who's on the cult Loka, managed to create a starting level character that at the one thing he did well, which was shooting people in the face, right. he basically made it so if he got a chance to aim and he was using his favourite gun and they were not over 150 metres away, he would only miss if his gun jammed. Nice. So so what you're telling me is that, that it turns out combat in this game should not be handled like you're playing Final Fantasy no. with all your characters lined up in a row <laughs> taking their... <laughs> no. Seriously, the moment we realized that, hey, you know what? Sneaking up behind people and stabbing them in the back not only means they die easier, but you don't get shot at when it happens. It, it, it just went so much easier for us from there. And... Um, it got to the point where the GM of the campaign was kind of finding it difficult because we literally would, if we ended up in a fight where it was um, stacked against us, we'd immediately go into, okay, what can we do to extricate ourselves from this in such a way that we can then ambush the people who have ambushed us? <laughs> so important life lessons learned from RPGs. Don't fight people face to face, just stab them. They're yeah. less likely to shoot you. Yeah, if Stab you them in the back. Creep up behind them, give them a good knifing. It's, it's a rule for life. <laughs> <laughs> really? Important life lessons. This is how we all grow, really, as, as role players. Well, yeah. I'm from the North, so it's pretty much a survivor skill. <laughs> all right. So going back to the character. So, so how, how did his whole story start? How, tell us a little bit about his situation when this all started. Okay. So in the beginning... Um, Roth lived on the planet Fear, P-H-R-Y-R-R, uh, -R -R. and this place is just covered in toxins. It, the whole planet is poisonous. So the people of Fear, because there are humans living there, because humans are surprisingly adaptable in the 40k yeah, it's, it's, universe. It's, it's kind of like New Jersey, so yeah, I get it. Um, so he was immune to the poisons there, and they had sort of a feral world level um very post-apocalyptic there'd been a there'd been an imperial colony there something had happened toxins everywhere including the wonderful thing lung coral which you can imagine what that does to you um and they had sort of a post-apocalyptic feel to them there was servitors in the cities which is why they didn't live in the cities because they thought the servitors were demons because they had no clue what they were um and the one thing they did do very well, though, was internecine tribal warfare. So there's a lot of fighting against each other, going into the cities, getting something that acted as a weapon, and then using it against other tribes. And the Imperium, and specifically the Inquisition, found out about this and went, oh, we can get some really strong feral warriors who are good at killing each other, um, and immune to most toxins, and throw them at our enemies. Pfft, fuck it, we might as well go and grab ourselves 12. So they <laughs> set up 
a, a tournament where the each year the best of the Fearan tribes would go and fight each other in this arena, and whoever won would be taken to the next hell. Ah. I.e. teleported from the arena directly to whichever Inquisitor's ship had turned up to pick up a new a new Feral World Nutter. Uh, so Roth actually went into the combat uh, wielding an old monomolecular cleaver, which he'd taken from the cities, and very nearly got killed to death by somebody who was using basically an arboretum chainsaw and uh, managed to kill him. Managed to fight off the guy who turned up with a weed killer flamethrower. Uh, although that did leave uh, Roth with a fear of fire for pretty much the whole campaign. Ah. And then he fought his way to the top of the tower and this green beam came down and he disappears. He thinks he died and went to the next hell. Ah. Because the the religion of fear was such that you're currently living in fear. You're in hell. When you die by being killed by the gold, the green beam, you will go to the next hell, which is slightly better and slightly closer to the emperor. If you do well in that hell and die, you'll go to the next hell, which should be a lot closer to the emperor. <laughs> yes, yeah, so you've got this nice little progression of like, it just keeps getting worse, but worse in a more glorious way. So Yeah, you get closer to the ever-living god who is the golden throne and his uh, giant golden warriors. Nice, yeah. We've, we all need to have goals, right? Yeah, yeah. And Roth was very much of the opinion that, okay, well, I've made it to the second hell. Uh, it's only a matter of time. And then stuff happened. <laughs> well, let's let's get to that stuff. So he got teleported by that green beam. He is now in a in a starship. I'm assuming he'd never been on a starship uh, before that. No, and the starship's filled with demons. Well, servitors. So, yeah, the the whole servitors demons thing caused my character problems for a while because we had a tech priest in our team. So he's covered in he's covered in metal and stuff. He's not a servitor because he can talk. Uh, so he became the tech speaker. Uh, we also had a witch with us, um, our psyker. But very very early on, Roth and and uh, the witch had a conversation, and Roth was like, "Well, you need to not use your witch powers. If you use your witch powers, you're never going to ne- get to the next hell." And the psyker was like, "Yeah, yeah, that's fine, that's fine." And the the player of the 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 psychic character actually chose his powers in such a way that you couldn't tell that he was doing them. Ah. So things like uncanny aim and healing and so on. And the only time they ever used healing on Roth was when he was already unconscious, so he didn't know it was happening. So Roth, well, to the end of the campaign where we got to. Roth still thinks that the Psyker has not been using his powers apart from once or twice where he slipped up in the whole campaign. <laughs> this is many years. So he ended up on the spaceship, uh, got told he was working for an Inquisitor whose name I admit I can no longer remember because it's been so long and he didn't last very long. Um, <laughs> and then we were immediately sent off to this farmhouse where we got mugged by mutants and that fight went really badly 
Um, lessons were learned, at d- least. Lessons were definitely, definitely, definitely learned. So they they punched our clock. We finished them off. We we did manage to finish them off. Well, I say we. I mean the guardswoman managed to finish most of them off, and eventually I managed to stab one quite vigorously with this giant cleaver I had. Um, we then found out that the the guy we'd been going to meet had been kidnapped, and this mm. resulted in the first comedy infiltration of this campaign, <laughs> where we found out where he was being held, and we knocked on the door pretending to be emergency plumbers. <laughs> I'd I'd like to say it didn't work, but it really did. <laughs> um, we managed to bluff our way inside, and then, as happens quite a lot in this campaign, and and as we go through the various stories, you'll hear this a lot. We sort of we got in there, so that part of the plan worked, and then about halfway through, we forgot what the plan was, and just fucked it up. We're halfway through, we just started shooting for no quite readily apparent reason. <laughs> but we, we managed to, quote Mark, save him, so it was fine. There we go. So, so, so far, sounds like a pretty uh, uh, classic uh, beginning heroic pro- uh, progression. Uh, you know, get thrust in over your head, uh, try to execute a plan, and uh, halfway through, as soon as uh, either something goes wrong or somebody forgets what the next step was, bring out the guns and start yeah. shooting. Yeah, no, that was... It was... Um, yeah, no, that happened a lot. <laughs> the, the main problems we had was, it, in the beginning, Roth had a very low willpower. And uh, for those of you who don't know the Dark Heresy system, willpower is your resistance to fear. So when we started facing off against things like demons or really bad servitors, Roth would regularly like, either faint or become afraid, to the point that... The other members of the team started carrying three vials of drugs. All three of them for Roth. The first one, if Roth faints, load him full of stim. Instantly back to awakeness, off back into the fight. Second one, if Roth becomes afraid and starts running, dose him with friends on. <laughs> Sends him into a frenzy, probably going to kill the enemy Normally they they would hit me with the friends on from behind so that I couldn't see them. The third <laughs> one was oh no the the third one was case Zulu, um, which is if we're if we're starting to be overrun and it's really going very badly, we just inject case Zulu into Roth and everybody else runs while he murders everything because it was a cocktail of like three or. Four Four different drugs, I think. Like, un- it granted unnatural strength, unnatural agility, caused frenzy. Basically, if they'd have ever used it against me, I was probably going to kill whatever they were aiming me at. And afterwards, I think I would have permanently lost half my agility and strength from the side effects. It was bad. <laughs> so that one, so that one never actually got used. Or so far. We have never had to use case Zulu, um, but it's 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 there just in well, case. Well, it's now actually uh, towards the later parts of the campaign. The tech priest actually persuaded Roth to have an implanted injector, which he has control of, 
which is three doses of stim, two doses of friends on, and one case Zulu. <laughs> it's it's oh no, it's Dom as well. I had I had one to knock me out if the friends on ran out uh, was still going before the number of enemies ran out. I love that there's this whole pharmacological uh, Roth management system. Um, at one point, we I'd been I'd been heavily wounded, and we were walking through this. Uh, through his starship and the tech priest was actually carrying me in his you know the big lifter arms that they have on their backs i was just being carried because right. i was unconscious and an enemy came round the end of the corridor he went oh shit put roth to the front stimmed me i exec- i drew my sword by this point i had a power sword drew my sword killed the enemy and then the moment the stim wore off went straight back to unconscious so i was awake for like two rounds um, and it was like oh emergency wrath done <laughs> so you're almost literally a living weapon in this case um, yeah wrath as i said um we found that sticking to our niches was very important in dark heresy because you do get only very few skills. So you want to stick to doing the things that you're good at. And what Roth was good at was close combat. Close combat and stealth. So um, I started off basically sneaking up on people and knifing them in the side. As the game progressed, I got better and better at particularly killing people with swords. Because whenever I got experience, I spent the points in... I want to be better at hitting people. I want to be better at dodging their attacks. I want to be better at agility. I want to be better at absolutely murdering them the moment I hit them. I did pick up like security skills and stuff to get us into places. Not that that ever mattered. Because what would normally happen is I'd be busy sneaking in through the back door and the guardswoman would blow the front door off with her grenade launcher. But that's neither here nor there. Um... So the the character definitely progressed down the close combat route, and once I started picking up better monomolecular weapons or chain swords, eventually a power sword, it got pretty lethal. Yeah. yeah. The the rest of the team had had firepower. I had killing stuff at close range. Nice. So you you were basically kind of the, the, the ninja of the group in that sense. Sort of, yeah. I mean, once combat starts, normally what would happen in a combat that we were in charge of, um, we'd be attempting to mug the enemy. So it, we would be lying in wait. And the first couple of rounds would be the enemy is unaware of us and our side is aiming at them. And then it would sort of go along the routes of they'd either spot us or the tech priest would open fire at which point Roth is still not quite at the enemy <laughs> so because he'd been moving slowly uh, and so he swears angrily and charges over the remaining space uh, sometimes I managed to sneak up on the enemy but usually it was just I got onto the flanks ready for the inevitable charge into gunfire <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, he was fast. <laughs> good, good. All right, so so we've got you know we've got Roth. We, we've got an idea. You know, as as he uh, 
is brought into this this uh, this you know fresh new hell almost literally. Uh, you know he begins to get better. He begins to get deadlier as he goes. This is uh, the rest of the party again establishes this uh, pharmacological wrath management system, uh, <laughs> which by the way I, I love. I can't it get over that. It is fantastic, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> So now it's been, you know, a year or two, you know, into into you're going into the campaign. How's his story going? Is he just still basically stuck as I am the guy that stabbed things or or is there some progression going on? Well, sort of. I mean, we were dealing with a very, very complex conspiracy. Um, there basically it's. It's a three-part conspiracy. An Inquisitor has gone rogue. And he has taken a battleship with him. One that has a Nova Cannon. Yeah, that's bad. Um, There is also this strange cult who don't seem to be a Chaos Cult, but do seem to be not quite right. And there's also this other chap wandering around who keeps performing miracles um and it boils down it boiled down to the inquisitor had found out about the scions um which are way back in old 40k lore they are the children that the emperor had before he became the emperor and they're still rocking about uh the cult was probably we never got this confirmed the cult of malal who is the chaos god who hates the other chaos gods. Um, so he, he was rocking about. So we started piecing away at this um, at this conspiracy, but it was very quite slow going. Um, and the other characters were... The tech priests started working out that there was an some kind of alien um, machinery involved, because we kept coming up against these servitors with alien stuff on them and that was concerning to him so his route took him down learning about the alien stuff we gained a sororitas about halfway through and she ended up practically a member of the malal cult uh we we had um well we had a golden mask wearing midget with us at one point who turned into a demon so we got rid of them (laughs) um so all the other characters kind of were progressing down routes to do with the conspiracy and roth kind of didn't um roth kind of stayed at the center very much he was very much attached to i am a member of the inquisition and i should be doing everything in my power to deal with this cult but in the way that the imperium wants so while the tech priest was off effectively committing tech heresy he was like okay this guy is part of my cell but if he goes over the edge i'm gonna kill him um and basically the both the both roth and the psyker pretty much formed a little a little team where we we were advancing our abilities, but we were advancing our abilities down our assigned roles. So he was, well, he was the psyker, but he was using guns more often than not because he could get away with doing that in front of Roth, no problem. And Roth was very much, when stuff went wrong, 
he was the person who was able to pull everybody else out of the fire long enough to regroup and then they could horribly murder things with gunfire um he was also used quite a lot for infiltrating places and sort of setting up little things like the tech priest would hand him a thing and say go into that building leave that in that building you don't need to know how it works because you wouldn't understand it anyway but we'll need it later um we did a lot of planning as well, and Roth was actually pretty good at pointing out the simpler way to do things, because Feral Wilder was like, well, you're right, we could use your tech-speaking powers to make the servitor demons do the thing, the thing, and the thing, or we could go over there and destroy the ra um, generators, and then we don't need to do any of this stuff. Just a thought. Sometimes it helps to have somebody who just kind of has that slightly clearer vision. It's like not, not everything needs to have 28 steps and, uh, and, and 50 contingencies. Sometimes just the direct route. Yeah, I mean, about, about a third of the way into the campaign, we had one of, one of Roth's crowning moments. There, there's, there's two moments I want to talk about. The first one, um, we were... Well, we'd infiltrated a high-class noble party. And our new Inquisitor, because our old Inquisitor died, our new Inquisitor was upstairs smoozing and then suddenly went, oh, I need backup. And we went, okay. We were all downstairs pretending to be his retinue, so we walked into the elevator and started heading up. The problem is, the reason that he needed backup was obvious to everybody up there, and quite a lot of other people had called their bodyguards as well. So there's us three, and these, th I think it was three of us, there was three of us, and there was these three bodyguards, all heavily armed, which we knew were the bodyguards of the people we were here to effectively kidnap. So they're standing in front of us, we're standing at the back of the, um, back of the elevator, uh, and Roth turns to, to the tech priest and, and shrugs and looks at him and then points at the, the bodyguards and the tech priest does a mechanical shrug and turns to the psyche who, who also go who looks at them and sort of makes a stabby stabby motion <laughs> at which point we rolled initiative in one round Roth killed all three guys just one round of combat um they weren't expecting it. By that point, I got him up to three attacks around. The other two, the other two characters in the elevator, hadn't managed to pull their guns because I'd front-loaded for initiative. Uh, I think the lowest initiative I could get on that character was fourteen, which normally it runs from four to twelve. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, Roth killed these three guys and then the door opened and these three headless corpses fell out in front of all of these noblemen and women and we just went oh uh wrong floor closed the door again and went up one floor uh that is amazing it was, it was funny but bad <laughs> i can just picture the entire scene in my head i love it i love that, it that's the point at which the the other players and the gm realized that oh no, Roth is the person that we need for close combat. We, yes. And we need to actually facilitate him getting into close combat. I think it was soon after that when the pharmacological control method came in. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. I, I just, again, I just, that picture of the elevator doors opening. Boom, 
little music playing. <laughs> and then these three heavily armed bodies just go thud. Uh, that's great. So it's it sounds like his arc was primarily sort of like becoming a good soldier, sort of like uh, just kind of accepting his 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 role in this uh, in this new hell. Like, uh, but yeah, so so it sounds it sounds again like it sounds like his arc is is that that becoming uh, a good soldier, becoming the the soldier I guess in his head that that he he thinks he should be. Mm, definitely, and uh, towards the end of the campaign, he actually we well, I, I want to talk about what happened just before this at some point, but at the end at the end of one trip across a particularly troubled feral world sort of medieval feral world and i will come back to that story we found a death cult and i'd been looking for a death cult pretty much the whole way through the the campaign because obviously once you hit ascension level death cult assassin is one of the things that you can be as an assassin character and we found a death cult and by this point Roth is no longer afraid of anything. There was a little bit of time messing about, and we ended up talking to a saint in the future and her space marine friends, and Roth persuaded them to remove the part of his brain that allowed him to feel fear. Um, So he was now a fearless warrior, and he met this death cult, and the he said i would like to train with you and they said okay and they started training him and the first training exercise was he had to try and hit the grand master without getting hit which was impossible the guy was amazing every time roth hit him he also got hit in return every single time hit return hit return hit return eventually roth looked at what was going on and the the grand master said right begin again and Roth took a half step forward and then just smacked him in the face and didn't care whether he got hit again. Didn't try and dodge, didn't try and defend, just put it all into ensure... Oop, I'll wait till the cat's out of the way. Uh, just, just put everything into ensuring that he struck the blow that he had to strike. And that was the the lesson they were trying to teach him. The lesson was... You don't matter. If you hit your if you hit your opponent in such a way that they can't fight you any longer, it doesn't matter if they take you out as well. That's what being a death cult assassin means. So that's what he that's what he learned. And finally, towards the end of the campaign, we actually and this bit we haven't finished yet. We actually got onto that big battleship, and he knows that he is going to try and kill the enemy inquisitor and it does not matter if he gets off again off the boat again because as long as he kills that guy the mission is completed but the the feral world was was the other greatest moment and this was the greatest moment in the whole group's time really by this point we were pretty powerful and we effectively seven samurai a village so we were 
out in the I can't even remember why we were on this planet honestly <laughs> it was just a terrible planet I think we'd been sent there by somebody else and we had to do a mission for them to get in with their part of the weird cult I think that was it but we were on this planet and we found this village that was sore beset by enemies um, and we said okay well that's no worry we will help you and so we did. What we didn't realise is, in addition to the flesh-eating cannibals that were trying to attack the village and eat every everybody, there was also a Necron. That was not expected. <laughs> um, so the battle started, and we'd laid... A, well, Roth had laid a load of very, very poisoned traps uh, in the forest. And the the poison, actually, was made from his own body because he still had lung coral which is incredibly deadly so he'd made up a load of toxins and there was all these like punji stick traps and pit traps and so on uh so the first rank of the enemy started walking towards the village and then all fell down or cut themselves and started frothing at the mouth uh, we just sort of went "Ooh, okay well never mind and roth is hiding in the woods with 15 of the villagers in a covered ditch and the enemy comes out onto the main field whereupon they step on several landmines which had been set up by the guards woman and that doesn't stop them there's still like 3,000 of them and they start marching towards the village okay so what happens next is a bit busy the sororitas flies overhead dropping hand grenades the uh, we'd stolen some forestry uh, mechs from somewhere and they go running out with their chainsaw arms controlled by the tech priest the tech priest has his uh, gun servitors start unloading on them as well um, the priest is being carried on a shield out into the middle of the into the middle of the field on his own by four guys this will become important later uh, the psyker because by now he is an unbelievable shot, he was just shooting unit leaders. Shooting, shooting, shooting. And the... Uh, I think we'd given the guardswoman a heavy bolter by this point. And she was just holding. Holding ready. So, the front ranks get a bit decimated. And it's all going not well for them. The second ranks start coming out with the Necron in the middle. And Roth appears from behind the army and just kills the command unit and leaves. <laughs> Not the Necron. He kills everybody else. Everybody around the Necron just dies in about, I think it was two rounds of combat because he had mooks with him. And it's just like, appear, murder, disappear. Um, but the Necron's still marching forwards and there's still a lot of these guys and... Uh, the servitors all get killed and the gun servitors run low on ammo and the the heavy bolter opens up and that's doing stuff but it's not really it's not really clearing them away from them from the field and they start rushing across the field and on the left and the right they start climbing up the walls um but in the middle they're just sort of swirling around the priest at the moment because the necron has decided well i want to kill that priest so he's marching straight towards the priest. Uh, the battle, the arbitrator finally woke up, actually, 
and I think he was like dueling one of the enemy leaders um, who'd come up over the wall. But then the psycho made it completely unnecessary by um, there's a power called terror where he becomes terrifying to the enemy. He overcast it so phenomenally well they became convinced he was Rokal Dawn. They they thought he was a Primarch. Um, so they're falling back in disarray. The Sororitas is flying around, dropping hand grenades and murdering people with their uh, bolt pistols. And Roth is sneaking up on the Necron. And I think I did manage to land a couple of blows, but then the priest did a thing. The priest had this ability to... I think it was once per lifetime or as long as he had two fate points left he could burn both of them to do it but everything within like i think it was 150 meters of him took damage equal to 1d10 times the number of corruption points they had so <laughs> in the middle of the army he just suddenly goes bah! and the entire center section of the army falls down into dust the necron explodes into golden light and tiny golden drops roth on the other hand has been being very careful about corruption he hasn't picked up very much by this point despite the fact that it's a five-year campaign i think he had six corruption points total and i managed to roll low enough that it just reduced me to like two or three into criticals so roth's standing in the middle of the enemy army on fire he falls to his knees and every single aquila tattoo that he had in his um in his body suddenly becomes made of gold uh so yeah he was at ground zero on a miracle and survived anybody else in the team the we worked it out. Never, nobody else could actually have taken being in that ground zero. Not the Sororitas, not the Tech Priest, nobody else. Roth only managed it by being unbelievably lucky. <laughs> so he, he basically did the, the thing that only he could have exactly. done. Exactly. And um, we saved the village uh, from the evil Necron and his cannibal friends. Um, not, not that anybody ever found out about that, because we literally left in the middle of the night. We didn't even say stop to say thank you. The peasants, the peasants have won again. <laughs> well, pe people know now, thanks to this show. Yes, they do. <laughs> but no, Roth is, he's still technically a live character because we haven't finished the campaign, but he is definitely my favourite character, simply because I got to play him for so long and I got to develop him in exactly the way I wanted to develop him. That is lovely. All right, so so bringing it kind of now to, to present day and, and the end. So you said this campaign technically isn't over, but it's been a while since you've since you've uh, played it, right? So so where do you want to see? So, so so you know we are getting closer to that end, assuming we, we do you, you do get uh, to pick this game back up. You, you guys are getting closer to the, the climax of the campaign. W what's your hope there if you if you get there? So we're currently the the evil inquisitor, and he is an evil inquisitor, 
has this weapon, a weapon made of psychic metal that he's put into the Nova Cannon mount. And he's going to use that to murder everybody in Scintilla uh, to force the Scion to admit who he is and become the new emperor of the Imperium. There are a lot of different decisions in the group about what each person wants to happen with that. Roth has actually been sneaky and has forewarned the Scion what is going to happen. Additionally, we have seen what happened when we went into the future. So we went into the future and talked to the saint, and she explained to us how we failed. Which is one of the reasons why Roth had the part of his brain that deals with fear removed, because he was psychically attacked in that, vid- in that vision, and his fear caused him to flee, and without him, the rest of the group couldn't finish, finish the job. We're currently... Uh, I think we've actually found the main minions of the of the evil inquisitor. Uh, so these are the guys one step down from him. Um, so we actually, th- I actually think the next the next session of this game would be us versus them, and probably the enemy inquisitor turning up soon after. Roth's one and only aim is to kill that Inquisitor. He doesn't care... Whether he lives or doesn't, doesn't matter. Doesn't care if he survives. Doesn't care what everybody else's plan is. He has to kill that guy. Because that's his particular mission. And the other players don't know this, but that's the mission he's been given by the Death Cult. Kill this dude. And, yeah, all, all I want to achieve before Roth dies or ends or disappears or gets dragged screaming into the third hell um, is lay blows on that guy (laughs) I don't need to kill him but the likelihood is if if I hit him he's dead (laughs) yes yes. Um, the the weapons I've got because I'm also carrying some quite hideous poisons now the weapons I've got if I land a blow on him he's going to be in a real bad way now, he's probably got fate points. He's a he's a great NPC, so he's probably going to have a few fate points to, to drop on not dying to the assault of Roth. But Roth also knows what Case Zulu does. If it starts getting really bad, I can Case Zulu myself. Yes, yes. So one way or another... He's, this guy's going down. The, the, the guy is not going to survive. Regardless, regardless the cost of him, yeah. yeah. The, this Inquisitor is he, he's not getting away uh, he's not getting away he's not getting out of this roth is going to do his damnedest to kill him to death <laughs> even if it means having to pump that piston and find out what case zulu really does yes yes no to Benny. so it's let's bad. <laughs> All right, so, so let's 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 kind of now take a look slightly into the future here so let's assume you know, you have this final confrontation and somehow Roth survives. Even if he had to take Zulu, and now he's he's weaker for basically forever. I guess it's a permanent reduction in stats, right? Oh, After, yeah. It's, yeah. A, it's about half, so, I so, think. 
it's you lose half. Yeah, of it. so it's 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 yeah. rough. It's rough, <laughs> but it's but let's let's say he survives. You know, whether weaker or stronger, but he survives. Where would you? And that's probably going to be the end of the campaign. You know, probably going to be the end of where you stop playing him. But in your mind, should he survive? What would be his goal going forward? Would he still be? trying to reach this next hell or would he go like i've achieved what i've done and, and maybe now i'm weaker so maybe it's time for me to to step back and and, and let others uh, take the charge and maybe maybe me find another role or wh- where do you think he would go honestly i think he'd go back to fear he'd go back to his old feral world and basically become a prophet of the god emperor because he spent a lot of time around people like the sororitas, people like the priest. He's seen actual honest god miracles happen on more than one occasion. He's covered in golden aquilas that were transubstantiated by faith in the god emperor. So I think he would actually go back to fear and just reorganize everything. Just change everything they believe and get them ready for what is actually happening in the next hell. Because he would still believe that it was the next hell. He would just go back to the previous one to help his people be ready for it. And that, I think, would be the perfect end for for Roth. Nice. That's a classic like campaign or, or arc end, and, and then you finally go back home. It would be that is lovely. It would be bad though. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, this is you know the Warhammer Forty K universe. Like even even when things go well, it's still just terrible. It's like oh, we've invented a new food. It's made from people. Yay! Now we can feed everyone as long as you all keep dying at a generally similar rate. <laughs> yep. And this is Warhammer. You will yeah, keep no, dying. You will. <laughs> there's there's always if there's one thing uh, the Warhammer 40k universe doesn't need to worry about it's running out of corpse crackers yes. you, you will always have will it always be. <laughs> always <laughs> alright so I think we're, we're, we've covered the full arc we've covered the character we covered where he's been what he's doing where he might go and what his hopes and fears or now lack of fear anymore uh, are is there anything else that you that you want to go when you when you think about this character just makes you go like yeah this is this is why i play the him. guy the guy never look, he's never fitted in on any other imperial world because the guy is gray he's, he's his skin is gray his eyes are gray his hair is gray he's gray from head to foot uh he, he's never actually fitted in with any of any of the other Imperial worlds we've been on, and we've been on a lot now. He's never fitted in. But he does kind of fit in with the rest of the Inquisitorial team, because they're all fantastically broken. The the Psyker is technically the sanest of us all, um, which is terrifying. Weird, weirdly enough, yeah. Uh, the Tech Priest is a full-on heretic. The Sororitas is going to find out that she's working for a Chaos God at some point. The, the priest, well, the, the priest flagellates himself regularly. I mean, there's something wrong in that boy's head. Uh, 
the arbitrator, the arbitrator, where when he's awake, the arbitrator is terrifying. Um, I mean, literally, he's been possessed by a demon before now, and survived. And the 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 guardswoman hasn't removed her armor this campaign. <laughs> I think she she upgraded some bits, but she hasn't taken the whole suit off in the whole campaign. So he kind of just he fits in with the group, but. He doesn't. He doesn't fit in with anybody else in the Imperium to to the point that he once back chatted a saint. <laughs> the, the saint was sat there saying, "You were failures. You were failures. Blah blah blah." And Roth just went, "We're we're acolytes. We're not inquisitors. Uh, if the Imperium was hoping for us to save it entirely, then." It needed a better plan. <laughs> We're just terrible. <laughs> he's he's never been he's never been shy about talking to 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 power, but he's also never been willing to turn around to them and say, "Yes, I can do a thing that I definitely can't do." He's always said, "I'll try, and if I fail, you should have a backup plan because everybody should have a backup plan." But yeah, the, I just, I just, I just love playing this nihilistic murder bot with with chemical <laughs> assistant. He's 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 just wonderful to play because he honestly believes he's already died. He honestly thinks he's already died at least once, and he's never really been frightened of dying. He's been frightened of servitors. He's been frightened of fire. He's been frightened of demons. He's been frightened of the psycho on many occasions. But he's never been frightened of throwing himself at the enemy and trying to achieve his mission. Because if he dies, he just ends up in the next hell. Yep, this is his, his Valhalla, basically. Yes, for, for well, the next hell is likely to be a bit like Valhalla. The hell after that, probably, very Valhalla. Maybe the one after that. I mean... It's in- increasingly Valhalla-esque yeah. as, as, you, as you go. That's great. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we're starting to wrap up. We're reaching the end of the show, but it was a pleasure to meet that character. And honestly, it was great to have you on. Uh, we, like I said, we, 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 we've, we've actually brought up uh, Warhammer in a couple of, of previous interviews, <laughs> but I think this is the one where, where we really kind of like got into how how really badass those those stories are uh, you know regardless of whatever uh, you know we, we still have our problems with the system and and we are we, we are actually planning we, we we've got uh, uh, some plans to maybe come back to it with a, with a different system we've been playing around with that um, uh-huh. but but the world itself and the, the kind of story the epic storytelling that you can tell in mm-hmm. it, uh, it is it it's just th- this was a perfect example. it lends itself to it and honestly really if you if you ever want to try Dark Heresy again, I'm quite happy to run it. I'm quite happy to give you a cheat sheet on how you sneak up behind people and knife them in the kidneys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I might just take you up on that one. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. And before we go, is there anything you want to tell our listeners? Uh, anything you want to announce? Anything going on? Or just let them know where they can find okay, you? Okay, well, it was lovely to be here. Uh, I am, of course, Mordrigan of the Cult of Tea and Dice. You can find us um, on thecultofteaanddice.net and on your podcaster, podcatcher, I mean, of preference. Uh, we are actually nearly at the end of Horror on the Orient Express. 
Yes. It's been running and that, that's, a while. <laughs> yeah, that is a very long-running campaign, which is unusual to find, honestly, in a, in a lot of uh, uh, actual plays. We've been, we've been running it for years. Yeah, for actual years. Is, <laughs> yeah, for actual years. Yeah, yeah. No, that is a very long-running campaign, and, and uh, we, we've been following it. I'm, I'm behind. I'm behind on so many podcasts. <laughs> I've, I, I am the worst. I was like, have you listened to the latest one? No, I'm like two years behind, but I'll get there. Oh, well, uh, our sound quality <laughs> is improving, so it'll get steadily more pleasant towards the end. But yeah, find <laughs> us there, or you can find us at Cult Teen Dice on the web. Uh, you, if you want to. Um, if you want to send us emails, just the court of tea and dice at gmail.com and you'll get straight to me. So that's where yeah. you can find us. And we, we will have Yeah, and we will have links to all of that in the show notes. So feel free to check them out. And uh, before we go, one final thing, as I'm sure you've you've noticed on some of our previous shows, we like to end with sort of a question for the listeners, something that we that we give out for them to, to come back. So do you have anything, you know, whether it's a question about their role play style or maybe something, you know, about your character, if, if you were to meet that character, how would you react, something like that? Yeah, something for the listeners for I that. I can think of one thing. If you were hmm. seven samuraiing a village, what would your role be? Nice. That's a good one. All right. All right. Well, listeners, you've got that one there. So, again, thank you all for joining us. Thank you so much, Modrigan, for being on our show. And we will be back in two weeks with a brand new interview. Bye, everyone. Goodbye. Thank you so much for listening to Tell Me About Your Character. If you enjoyed this, you might also want to check out our many other shows on the Fandible Podcast Network, dozens of actual play tabletop RPGs, and our long-running series The Solo Shot and Long Shot. And if you really liked it, consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com fandible. Not only will you get episodes early, but you'll also get access to our subscriber-only Discord server and the Fandible Notebook, now featuring the soon-to-be smash hit game Three Goblins in a Trenchcoat by yours truly. Come back next week for more Tell Me About Your Character. 